I, uh, I grew up in a church that uh, I went to every week, and there, I can't remember a time in my life where going to church was not part of my weekly rhythm. I'm sure many of you can uh, relate to me in that, that you've grown up and you just can't remember a time that uh, you haven't gone to church. And uh, one of the things that I remember growing up as a kid was going, going through all these different stories about Jesus. And one of the ones that always stood out to me, and maybe to you as well, was the story that we're going to look at this morning, which is the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. And this one stands out in my mind, and maybe yours as well, even though it's only 10 verses uh, in, in Scripture, is because there was a song that went along with it. Do you remember the song about Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up on the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to. And then it goes on. I can't remember all the words after that. But very good. Thank you for singing with me. I wasn't sure if I did that. I'd just be up here, like, doing a solo. So I appreciate that the choir was singing with me that grew up knowing that song. And uh, I think because of that, it's just, it sticks out in our mind. We just, but in my mind, I've always kept it in this like bin of kids' stories. I never really looked at it more seriously, I don't think, as an adult. As I read through the Bible in a, in a year, uh, I've been doing that for the past number of years. And uh, again, this is only 10 verses, so it doesn't really stand out to you when you're reading the whole Bible in a year. But when Pastor Dwayne told me about this service, the sermon series that we were going to be going through, Encountering Jesus or Encounters with Jesus, he told me the different stories that he was going to be sharing. And there's a few that he said, well, for the couple weeks that you're preaching, uh, here's a couple that maybe would be good for, for, for this series. And I saw the Jesus and Zacchaeus, and I'm like, I'm going to choose that one because I want to dig into this. I want to learn more about it, and I hope that it will help us as a church continue to encounter Jesus through this series. And so as I studied it this week, I just realized, man, there's so much in these 10 verses. I'm excited to bring this message to you this morning. I think whether this is your first week in a church or first time in a church or whether you grew up singing this song, there is something for you to take away this morning. And so what we're going to do is I'm just going to take you through the 10 verses and then I'm going to share with you six things that I think this story in particular teaches us about the Christian faith and following Jesus. And so let's uh, open your Bibles if you have them with you, or there's Bibles in the uh, chair rack in front of you. Uh, Turn to Luke chapter 19, uh, verses 1 to 10, and let's walk through this story together. And so verse 1 says this, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And so as we begin this story, we see that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. There's a whole section of Luke that just talks about Jesus' journey to Jerusalem before he goes to the cross. We know he was going to Jerusalem because it says so in Luke 18, verse 31, just before this, it says, Jesus took the 12 apostles uh, inside and told them, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. So we know that as Jesus is going through Jericho, he's got on his mind that he's going to the cross. We also have in the context of this story from Luke 18, um, a story that is also very familiar to us and one that Pastor Duane already preached on, where Jesus interacts with the rich young ruler. And uh, this is the man who came up to Jesus and he thought he was already part of the kingdom because of how righteous in his own eyes he was. He said he obeyed all the different commandments. When Jesus, though, asks him to sell all that he has and give it to the poor, He finds himself at a crossroads 
where he has to choose, am I going to follow Jesus or am I going to follow money and the ways of the world? And it says at the end of the story that he walked away sadly from Jesus because he had much wealth. And so Jesus responds to the rich young ruler and he says, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? He says, indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And so we have this context from Luke 18 as we, as we come into this encounter of Jesus with Zacchaeus, who we'll also see as a rich man. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified, but he's going through Jericho. And we also know from Jesus' context that it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 2, this is where we meet Zacchaeus. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. This is the only place in the Bible where we, we meet this character, Zacchaeus. And again, we learn that he was a chief tax collector and that he was very wealthy. Tax collectors were hated by the common people of that day. That's because they would be the ones that would collect the taxes. Now, we don't like anyone who's taking money from us, so it makes sense that people hated the tax collectors. But there was, a, there was even more of a hatred because they were, they were supposed to be, they were Jews themselves, but they were working with the Roman uh, rulers. And so they would take money from people, and if someone owed, let's say, $50, they would take 75, and they'd give the 50 to uh, the Roman Empire, and they would keep the 25 for themselves. And the Romans, they were fine with that. All they cared about was getting their 50. But so if the tax collectors took as much as they wanted, they could do that. And the Roman soldiers would actually protect the tax collectors. And so there's a great hatred by the people for the tax collectors. So Zacchaeus was wealthy and he was a tax collector. Verse 3 and 4 tell us about Zacchaeus' curiosity about Jesus. It says, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. So Zacchaeus finds out that Jesus is coming to town, and he realizes, I want to meet this person. We don't know what intrigued Zacchaeus about Jesus, it could have just been that he saw Jesus coming through and that crowds were starting to gather around him, or it could be that he knew something about who Jesus was claiming to be. But he knows that he wants to meet Jesus. And so, you know, yesterday in our city, we had the Grey Cup slash Santa Claus parade uh, here in Hamilton. And maybe you guys have been to these things before where you, you go down with your kids and you, you, you park somewhere, you've got maybe a chair with you, and you're trying to find a spot, but if you don't get there really early, you and you want to actually see the parade, you have to keep going and going and going until you find somewhere that you can plant your chair. And very quickly you realize, man, I parked way over there, but because I didn't get here early enough, this is just my experience in going to these parades, that, uh, man, I find myself really far from where I expected to be. Zacchaeus is kind of like this. He's coming late to the party, and so he wants to see Jesus, so he realizes, I have to go down far, farther and farther. And the further he goes, he realizes, there's nowhere by the road to see Jesus. And so because he was short, it says he climbed a sycamore tree. Now, sycamore trees um, are, are ones that could go up to 60 feet tall, but their branches are very low and very strong. So that most trees that we're used to, maybe maple trees, you know, there's a certain part of the, um, 
the trunk and then eventually the branches go off. But sycamore trees, you can have a branch that comes off very low. So even someone quite short would be able to prop themselves up even without a boost. And so Zacchaeus says, well, this is a pretty good, good thing. So he goes and climbs this tree. But in, in, in order to meet Jesus, Zacchaeus has to do something here that's beyond just climbing a tree. He has to kind of put himself out there. You know, when you see people today climbing trees, are they usually wealthy businessmen? No, not usually. It's usually children, isn't it, who are climbing trees. My kids love climbing trees. It would have been very strange for a wealthy tax collector to be up in a tree. Verses 3 and 4 here, it shows the commitment that Zacchaeus had to find Jesus. He had to humble himself. In order to come to Jesus, Zacchaeus had to humble himself. And we'll talk a bit more about that in a few minutes. But again, then in verses 5 and 6, it says, When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. So remember, Jesus was just intending to pass through Jericho. He was not expecting to stay with anyone while he was there. But because he sees Zacchaeus in the tree, he says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deroute from what I, what I was planning to do and actually spend time with this person, with this Zacchaeus. Notice here as well that Jesus knows his name. They had never met before, but the Lord knew Zacchaeus before Zacchaeus knew the Lord. And that's the case with all of us as well. The Lord knew you before you ever knew the Lord. You might be here this morning actually wondering if anyone here knows your name. But you could be assured that the Lord Jesus knows your name and he cares for you. Jesus comes up to Zacchaeus and says, I want to meet with you in your home. We know that Jesus doesn't have a place that he can invite someone to. He doesn't have a house. And so in order to meet with Zacchaeus, he doesn't want to do this in a public place. He wants to go and be with him in his own home. So Jesus has gone from traveling through, Zacchaeus, traveling through Jericho with much fanfare, and instead he slows himself down, he allows himself to be interrupted, and he spends time with someone that everyone else hated. Zacchaeus is pumped to receive Jesus. It says that he welcomed him gladly into his home. Zacchaeus wouldn't have been used to inviting anyone who really cared about him to his home. He may have had other tax collectors, but people that didn't necessarily really care about him, just someone who wanted something from him. He invited Jesus into, or Jesus invited himself into his home, and he was very excited to receive him. Verse 7 goes on, all the people who saw this, they began to mutter, he has gone to, the, to be a guest of a sinner. The mood on the street doesn't match the festivities in the house. You see, eating a meal with someone in this culture meant so much more than it means to us today. Eating together symbolized unity. Eating together symbolized friendship and fellowship. It was a richly symbolic act that went beyond the mere act of eating. And so the crowds begin to mutter. 
Other English translations say the crowds began to grumble. In their muttering and grumbling, they were condemning Zacchaeus as a tax collector, but they were also condemning Jesus for going to eat with a tax collector. They thought that holiness meant that you snub people like Zacchaeus. You don't hang out with people like Zacchaeus if you're actually holy. If you're actually godly, you ignore people like Zacchaeus. If Jesus were truly a prophet or if he was a rabbi, he should have known that in their eyes. But they were just probably extremely jealous that Jesus was spending time with Zacchaeus. You know, whenever someone gets something that we think we should have, we get jealous of them. We start to act holier than thou. I think this is what's happening here. Jesus, if he had chosen to go to one of their homes, they would have received him gladly, and they would have thought this was a good choice by Jesus to come to their house. I deserve to have Jesus come to my home. We as Christians, especially if we've grown up in the church, we can, we can just become so confident that we, get, we turn up our nose and say, yeah, Jesus, it makes sense that he chose me because I'm such a good person. We often relate more to the crowd, unfortunately, than we do to Zacchaeus, who humbly climbed a tree, knowing that he wasn't worthy to see the Lord Jesus. And so the scene now shifts from a public setting now into Zacchaeus' home. It's almost as if the light goes down on the scene at the end of verse 7 and then raises up in verse 8 in the home of Zacchaeus. It says this, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody from out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Zacchaeus, he stands up out of his chair, showing how important this declaration that he's making is. It's like if you're at a family gathering and you've got something important to share, like you're, you've just gotten engaged or something like that, or you've got a promotion or you're going to be moving, you stand up out of your chair because it's something important. This is what Zacchaeus is doing here. He is so excited that he cannot stay seated as he declares that, Lord, if I've, if I've done anything wrong with my money, if I've stolen from people, I'm going to pay them back four times the amount Zacchaeus is being overly generous than what the law demanded. According to the law, if someone, makes, if someone cheated someone and is looking to make a voluntary restitution, they only had to give back the amount owed plus one-fifth. Zacchaeus, having met the Lord, becomes extremely generous with his money. In response to encountering Jesus, he does more than what was required. You know, we often look at our finances and we think, well, the Lord is, in the Old Testament, talks about giving a tithe, so I'll give 10%. This story here is sharing that with our finances, we're actually supposed to be more than generous with what the law demands. If we've truly encountered Jesus, we should be the most generous people there are out there. He says, if I've defrauded anyone out of anything, I restore it fourfold. Not, I will restore it fourfold. He doesn't fill out a pledge card and say that in six months, I'm going to restore this. He says, I restore it fourfold. He is doing it that very day. We don't know what this meant. Did he have personal administrators that were there in attendance who would have then put this into practice? Or is this just a bold declaration from someone who's met Jesus and had his life transformed? 
and saying, I'm just, everything changes from this moment. And how does Jesus respond to this massive moment, massive announcement? Verse 9, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Jesus sees the dramatic change in Zacchaeus and boldly proclaims that Zacchaeus is saved. R.C. Sproul, who is a pastor and theologian, he comments on this. He says, In giving his money back to the poor and making restitution, it is a bold confession of sin, an act of repentance, and a confession of faith. So this isn't Zacchaeus earning his salvation with his money. This is a demonstration that he has been saved already, and now he is being generous as a result of it. He has already experienced saving faith at some point already in that encounter with Jesus. And so the, the wellspring of generosity that comes from his is, is a result of him being saved, not a way to be saved. Jesus now goes on to say that Zacchaeus is a son of Abraham. In saying this, it's not just that Zacchaeus is a physical descendant of Abraham, because that was true also of the crowds that were sneering at Jesus and muttering at him. But Zacchaeus has now become a son of Abraham by faith. In Romans 4 and Galatians 3, Paul states that it's only those who have faith in Christ who are the true children of Abraham. So Zacchaeus, by giving back his money to the poor and making restitution, he's confessing his sin, he's changing his ways, and he's confessing his faith in the Lord Jesus. Zacchaeus is giving what he did. It's, it's a thank offering to the Lord, expressive of someone whose life has been transformed. He's like the man in the parable of the hidden treasure in Matthew 13. The man in this parable, he finds a treasure hidden, hidden in a field, and so he hides it again. And then in his joy, he goes and sells everything that he has in order to buy that field because that treasure is so valuable, worth everything that he has. Zacchaeus joyfully gives up all of his wealth, all of his fame, in order to gain Jesus. Finally then, in verse 10, we get the statement from Jesus that gives us the reason why he went to Zacchaeus' home, but also a reason why he came to be here with us on earth. He said, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. This was his proactive mission. This is why even though he was just passing through Jericho, he stayed with Zacchaeus. Jesus saves the lost by forgiving them of their sins reconciling them with God the Father. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost, and that encapsulates the heart of our Savior. And so, as we look at this passage, there's, it's an interesting story of Jesus and Zacchaeus, but the question we have to ask ourselves is, why did Luke choose to include this story in his gospel account? Because other gospels don't include this account. What did he think was important for us to know about the Christian faith and following Jesus such that he wanted to include this story and such that he even wanted to contrast it with the story of the rich young ruler? So I want to, with the time left we have share with you six things I think that we learn from this story about what it means to follow Jesus or what it means to know and live the Christian faith. 
the first thing I'll say is that we need to leave our pride behind. Zacchaeus was willing to climb up the tree and be undignified. He humbled himself. It's kind of a humiliating thing for an adult to climb a tree in public. What does that say to us today about following Jesus? We don't have to climb a tree in order to, to follow Jesus, but what does it mean for us to climb a tree today, to be willing to leave our pride behind? I think what it means is that we need to be willing to be made fun of to follow Jesus. I think it means we need to be willing to be ridiculed by those we work with, by those in our neighborhood, maybe by those in our family who don't follow Jesus. If we're worried about what our neighbors and coworkers think about us more than we are concerned about seeing and knowing Jesus, then something's wrong in our Christian faith. Part of following Jesus is leaving our pride behind and not being concerned with what others think. Today, if you follow Jesus, people will think perhaps that you're gullible. They'll think you'll just believe anything. People think that when you grow up, you don't believe in the supernatural anymore. Children, for example, again, they love to climb trees. They also love fairy tales. They love fantasy. These stories are exciting because they tell stories about things that we don't see happening in everyday life. Fighting dragons, flying spaceships, going into outer space. Kids love these stories. But I think it's not just kids that love these stories. I think we as adults love these stories too. We love fantasy stories like Lord of the Rings or Star Wars or Chronicles of Narnia or the Avengers. The reason we love them is because it tells us of a place where the supernatural happened, where things out of the ordinary happen. There are forces of good battling forces of evil, and the good overcomes the evil. But our society tries to tell us, don't be like that anymore. Don't, you can't believe that. Don't believe in supernatural. You're just here because random molecules bounced off each other and outsprung a universe. You're a random product of natural selection and evolution. There's no meaning to your life. When you die, that is it. This is what the world tells us. And if you believe in God, you're acting like a child. In our society, if you want to believe in the supernatural, you may as well climb up a tree because you're going to appear quite childish. But you see, this is the hope that we can offer the world. We can tell them that there is more to life than what they see. They want to believe it. We all want to believe it because it connects us with the one true story. There is a true story where good does defeat evil. There is a true story where someone comes from outside of our planet to come and save us. This is why these stories well up with us and we want to go and see them and want to watch these stories. They connect us with what we know is true. We as Christians can say it is good to enjoy fairy tales and it is good to enjoy fantasy because our hearts are meant to be drawn to something other than this physical existence of what there is. In our heart, we're compelled to believe that good will one day defeat evil because we are wired to desire that. Tim Keller says, the gospel story of Jesus is not just one more story pointing to the wonderful reality of good defeating evil. 
Jesus is the ultimate reality of good defeating evil to which all these other fantasy stories point. And so to follow Jesus, Zacchaeus had to be willing to humble himself and set aside his pride and climb a tree. And for us today, to follow Jesus, we need to be willing to look outside of this physical universe and be willing to set aside our pride and willing to publicly declare that we believe in a supernatural God. We need to be willing to leave our pride behind. The second thing I see here in this story is that in the Christian faith, we need to be willing to see Jesus through the crowd. We need to be willing to see Jesus through the crowd. When Zacchaeus heard that Jesus was coming to town, he didn't go and talk to others about who Jesus was. He made a plan to see and speak with Jesus. Do you think Zacchaeus would have learned the truth about Jesus from that moralistic, self-righteous crowd? Zacchaeus would have probably been put off by Jesus if he went to the crowd. And how many people today, and some of you listening here this morning, are cold to Jesus because all you've learned about Jesus is from the crowd. You've learned about Jesus from the news or from movies or from other things, but you haven't actually went directly to Jesus. Maybe you think Christians are just hypocrites. And in many cases, you're right if you believe that because we don't often follow what we say we will do as Christians. But you can't judge Jesus by listening to those who claim to follow him alone. Christians should be the most loving people. They should be the most gracious people because they have received much love and grace from the Lord. But to our shame, sometimes Christians act no differently than the rest of the world and often sometimes even worse. In order to follow Jesus, we need to see him through the crowd. We need to go directly to him. And the place to do that is from his word, from the Bible, from the gospel accounts themselves that record the life of Jesus. If you read in the gospels about Jesus, you'll see that he is just as angry with religious hypocrites as you are. In most of the pages of the gospels, he's interacting with religious rulers who should have known better but don't. He gets into debates with the religious people. And so again, if you want to know more about Jesus, go directly to the source, read from God's word, and see what it says about who Jesus is, not from what other people in our culture say about who he is. We need to see Jesus through the crowd. The third thing I see here is that we see the mission of Jesus. Jesus was on a mission to seek and to save the lost. We get this straight from verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This was Jesus' mission. This was his purpose in coming. Right from the beginning of the story, again, we learn that Jesus did not have a plan to stay in Jericho. Luke records he was just passing through. But when he met Zacchaeus, he knew he needed to stay and visit with him for a while. Jesus allowed himself to be interrupted from his plans in order to fulfill his greater purpose. He allowed himself to be interrupted from his journey in order to seek and to save those who were lost. 
And so if you're a Christian here this morning, a question you need to ask yourself is, am I willing to be interrupted? Am I willing to set what I had thought I was supposed to do today aside in order to be on mission with Jesus? Am I willing to be inconvenienced in order to spend time with someone perhaps curious about the Lord? We can very easily justify ourselves in passing by opportunities to share the gospel with someone because we've got somewhere to be. In many cases, we can be just like in the parable of the Good Samaritan, those that passed by on the other side of the road because they had something more important to do. It was the Samaritan in that story who probably had somewhere he was going but took time to care for the one who was hurt. Are we like the good Samaritan in that story who will be inconvenienced to help someone in need? Or are we like the priests who pass by on the other side? Jesus came to seek and to save those who were lost. This is why he meets with the woman at the well in John 4. This is why he stops to heal blind Bartimaeus in Mark 10. This is why he says, I will leave the 99 to go and find the one that's lost. The heart of Jesus is to seek and to save those that are lost. And we as Christians need to develop that heart of Jesus as well. We shouldn't be cold people who are inconvenienced by people who are causing us trouble. We should be people who are willing to set aside our priorities in order to seek and to save those who are lost. Again, the mission of Jesus is to seek and to save the lost. And if we're followers of Jesus, we have to ask ourselves, am I willing to be like Jesus and to be interrupted from my plans to seek and to save the lost? That's the third thing. The fourth thing I'll share is this. Jesus wants your whole life, not just your Sunday morning. When Jesus sees Zacchaeus in the tree, he doesn't invite him to church on Sunday. He doesn't hand him a little card saying, meet with me four days from now at church. He goes and says, today I'm going into your house. I'm having lunch with you. There's a temptation when we follow Jesus to compartmentalize our lives, to say that Sunday morning is my church morning and that's when I do my religious thing. And then perhaps maybe I'm part of a small group or something and I do religious things there. But then when I'm at work, when I'm at home relaxing, that part isn't really affected by the gospel or affected by Jesus. Do people at work know that that we follow Jesus? Have you allowed being a Christian to be part of the image you portray of yourself in your workplace? Does following Jesus make any difference from Monday to Friday? Would those who interact with you know that there's anything different about you because you follow Jesus? 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Being a follower of Jesus means we work hard as if God were our boss. It means you treat your coworkers well demonstrating what it, what it looks like to follow Jesus. Or at school, for those of you who are students, do people at your high school 
or your college know that you follow Jesus? I think the fact that Jesus goes into the home of Zacchaeus says that all of your life is meant to be given towards Jesus. Not just the portions of your life that are earmarked as religious or spiritual, but every area of your life should be affected by the fact that Jesus is your Lord. Jesus says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. It's this idea that Jesus enters into your life and now you're with Jesus wherever you are, whether you're at the, the dinner table, whether you're at work, whether you're at church, whether you're relaxing in the evening after work with your family. Everything is meant to be affected by the gospel. The way you spend your money, your thought life, your family life, your vocation, the way you spend your weekends. Jesus is knocking at the door saying, behold, I'm here. I stand at the door and knock. Here I am. If you open the door, I'll eat with you and and you with me. Jesus wants your whole life, not just your Sunday morning. Fifth, money can be used to keep you from God or it can be used as a tool to demonstrate your love for God. When Zacchaeus has his life changed by God, the first thing it affects is his wealth and his possessions. Zacchaeus was a very wealthy man, probably wealthier than than most or if not all of us here in modern day uh, equivalent. He was a very wealthy man. Money was no issue for him. He could have bought the best clothes that he wanted, eaten at the best restaurants, taken all the vacations that he wanted, and owned the biggest home. In this way, he was very much like that rich young ruler in Luke 18. But before we go and say, well, those guys are way richer than I am, no, we need to put ourselves in that place. Compared to the rest of the world, we are extremely wealthy. So this affects us all. When Jesus met the rich young ruler, this man was willing to follow Jesus, just like all of us are willing to follow Jesus. But when it came to how it affected his finances, he walked away sad. Can you believe that? He is standing before the maker of the universe. And what's in his pocket is more important to him than Jesus. See, money has a funny way of changing or affecting our priorities. C.S. Lewis, he wrote something quite profound about wealth and possessions. He said this, Prosperity knits a man to the world. He feels that he is finding his place in it. Well, really, it is finding its place in him. Prosperity knits a man to the world. He feels that he is finding his place in it when really it is finding its place in him. What he's saying is that financial prosperity has a way of just attaching us to this world and worldly things. It makes us feel like this world is home and that it's not going to get any better than this, so let me enjoy it as much as I can. An extremely worldly way of thinking about things. We look then to money for our comfort rather than God. Money can be used by the enemy to keep us from God. But the good news is that it doesn't have to. Instead, we could choose to respond to the grace that God has shown us, like Zacchaeus, and respond in a wealth of generosity towards others. We can choose to let our money demonstrate our allegiance to Christ rather than let it demonstrate our allegiance to the world. 
a question we need to reflect on as Christians is if, how, if we look at how we honestly steward our money, do we hold on to it tightly for ourselves like the rich young ruler, or do we use it generously to demonstrate that our lives have been truly transformed by Jesus? Money, it's not evil in and of itself, but every way you spend your dollar is a vote towards the person that you want to be and who you're saying you are. The fifth, or the sixth and last thing is this. Jesus shows love and grace first. When Zacchaeus stands up and declares that he is going to give his money away, he makes a declaration of his commitment to Jesus. But this vow is not made as a precondition of Jesus' acceptance, but as a result of it. Jesus already knows Zacchaeus' name before he's ever met him. Jesus doesn't say, doesn't respond to Zacchaeus and say, well now, if you clean up your life and stop cheating, I'll come and eat with you. He's already going to Zacchaeus' house long before Zacchaeus has made this declaration about giving his money back. Jesus shows love and grace first. When Zacchaeus says, I'm going to give half away, half of my money to the poor, and I'm going to pay back everyone who I'm cheated, Jesus doesn't say, now salvation will come to you. He's saying, this is a sign that salvation has already come to you. Zacchaeus is changed, and his life transforms immediately. If it is, the grace, or it is the grace of Jesus first, then it's obedience that follows. And so again, what does that mean for us here today? It means that if you're here today and you don't think you deserve the grace of God, in a sense, you're right. None of us deserve the grace of God. But the story of Zacchaeus and Jesus shows us that if you are curious about Jesus and you come to him just as you are, he is ready and waiting to show you grace. This is because long before you'd ever decided to seek him, he already made a way for you to, to, to come into relationship with him. He was already seeking you. God's word tells us, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't wait for you to get right with him first. He made a way long before you were even born to be made right. And it's not based on what you've done. It's based on what Jesus has done for you. And so all you need to do is receive that grace and choose to follow him with your whole life just like Zacchaeus did. And if you do that today, salvation will come. For Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And so if you're a follower of Jesus already, I just want to say this encounter reminds us we need to be on mission with him. We need to be willing to be interrupted. We need to unite ourselves with him, with him in his mission to seek and to save that which was lost. And it's a reminder of us to ensure that the way we are spending our money is a reflection that our heart has been transformed by the gospel. We're not living to the law anymore, with any area of our life, including our finances, we are living to the gospel with our finances, which means we are generous with what we are giving. And if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, this story tells us 
that all you have to do is come. Put your pride aside. Be willing to climb a tree to come to Jesus. He is waiting. He's wanting to invite himself into your heart. And all you have to do is welcome him in, and he'll say, today, salvation has come. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that in this passage we see your true heart, that you're a God who loves, you're a God who pursues, you're a God who makes a way. You're a God who doesn't require us to bring anything to you first, but you already know our name, you've already died in our place. And so Lord, I pray that for today, many of us here would respond like Zacchaeus, that we would respond in generosity, showing that the gospel has transformed our heart, that we would be on mission with you, Lord Jesus, in, in your heart to seek and to save that which is lost. And I thank you that it's not our obedience that makes us right, but our obedience is just a reflection of what you've already done in our hearts. I pray that you'd give us joy then, like Zacchaeus welcomed you in gladly. I pray that we would welcome this in gladly as well. For you are such a good God and you've saved us by such an amazing gospel. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. A hope and blessing for each one of you today is that you would have the experience of Zacchaeus. That you would put aside your pride, humble yourself, be able to experience the Lord Jesus in a, in a refreshing way. And that it would cause you to just have an overwhelming life of generosity marked by being on mission with Jesus to seek and to save the lost. Amen.